Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, Hamish. What are you doing in my house? Oh, <laughs> uh, so true. You, yeah, you got to go over to YouTube and watch these ones on YouTube. Though <laughs> it's a bit more. I don't know. It's just like a little bit more unhinged when we're actually yeah. in person together. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. But seriously, what are you doing? You just Brandon just shows up unannounced. Sorry, mate. So, I'm, I'm so here for the meet and greet. Is it here? The meet and greet. <laughs> I, told, I told everyone it was at your house. You gave, you posted my address <laughs> yeah, on, on your public Instagram. That's correct. Fair no, enough. there's like a hundred people outside. God, is that what that noise is? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, how you doing, mate? I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm excited. We've got a, we've got a few little uh, different things going on this week, which has been yeah. kind of exciting. Of course, this will probably go out after the uh, meet and greet. Um, yep. So it was lovely to meet all of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, though, actually, though, actually, though, um, well, yeah, we should probably post, we'll post something today on the Young Investors feed as well. Like yep. just a community post. Yeah. Oh, we can't really post anything on Spotify though. No, not or, on Spotify. No, but that's unfortunately. Okay. No. So hopefully, hopefully you subscribe to the YouTube thing. Yeah. And um, it's, well, you've posted on YouTube, on Instagram. I've posted on YouTube and Instagram. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully, Everybody's heard about it, but yes. Please, someone comes to my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but preemptively, yes, it was nice to meet everybody. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we've got to get... Uh, can we talk about the other thing or not really? Probably not, actually. We probably next week. We okay, can. next week. We've been saying this a little we bit have, for a while. We've, but now it's actually really close. Now we're we're almost. We've almost checked all the boxes, and yeah. then we can um, then we can talk about it. Yeah. But there is something other, uh, some other exciting thing that we're doing this week. Well, yes, we will. <clears throat> we will be able to announce it next week. Okay. Yeah. Next week because that next week's episode will be the start of. The thing. The thing. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't know about yet. <laughs> so how's that for a tease? All right, Hamish, what are we talking about today? What do you? What have you got? What, we've what do you got, well, it's a bit of a start of earnings season. So we've got yes. uh, a couple of companies that uh, we like to follow, and I'm sure a lot of people like to follow Netflix and Tesla, who are usually some of the... Uh, uh, you know, tech or, or more in, more uh, widely followed companies that start yep. to report earlier before uh, over the next couple of weeks, we'll see more of, you know, Meta and, and, and Alphabet and that sort of thing. So we'll talk through those earnings. We've got uh, an update on UK inflation. Unfortunately, it's uh, not it's good not news. Good. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had some good news in, in the US and a little bit in Australia. Unfortunately, UK, we do not have good news uh, yet. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, I'm going to take us. Yeah, I'm going to talk through uh, Tesla. Tesla earnings. Um, I'm go- and also going to talk about uh, Apple. Tim Cook flew over to India um, during the week to right. open two the first two Apple stores in India. Wow! So they're pushing moving in. into that market. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Yes, and there's a couple of there's a couple of prongs to that strategy as well, which I'm going to talk about, which uh, I th- I think is quite interesting. It's Fascinating. Very, very big market. Awesome. And then we'll try and get to a couple of your questions as always. Uh, yes. And of course, if you have any questions uh, for next week, you can leave them. If you're in Spotify, you can leave them natively in Spotify. Just scroll up. Uh, or if you're listening or, or watching anywhere else, head over to the YouTube version uh, of the podcast. Hit subscribe. And uh, also you can leave your comments uh, on the latest episode. Le- leave your questions as a comment on the latest episode. So, um, yeah. Epic. All right. Should we get going? Yeah. With that said, today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades either automatically by connecting your broker to ShareSite, or you can do it using Excel or one by one. However, you want to import your trades from different brokers. Once you do that, it will track all the gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. Uh, if you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. Uh, and then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used at tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. Uh, at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to ShareSite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S-I-G-H-T, ShareSite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link. You can sign up to a free plan and track up to 10 holdings for as long as you want. Or you can sign up to a more premium plan for more premium features and reporting. 
Uh, and if you use our link, you'll get four months off an annual subscription. So go check it out. It's a great deal. And uh, as always, thank you to those who have uh, used our link, signing up to ShareSide and is supporting what we do here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hamish, where do you want to start? I'll give you three options. We can talk about, okay. we can get the, the sad stuff out of the way first and talk mm. about inflation. You can go on a half an hour rant on Netflix mm. or I can go on a half an hour rant on Tesla. Am I limited to half an hour? Yes. Is that really? Yeah. Sorry, mate. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think, um, yeah, let, let's get this, uh, let's get this UK inflation okay. data kind of out of the way and then we'll jump over to some earnings from, uh, from Tesla and then we'll, and we'll, right. then we'll jump into Netflix. Um, <clears throat> I'll go through this relatively quickly. I mean, we get this data in every single month and we, we get it for the US, Australia, UK, U- Eurozone. So there is kind of a, a we, lot. We, we do tend to talk about inflation numbers a lot. So I'll go relatively quickly, but uh, essentially, it continued uh, to be uh, unexpectedly high. Uh, the consumer price index rose by an annual rate of 10.1%, uh, which was a decline from February, which was uh, 10.4%, uh, although it represents a very strong uh, rate of inflation. Mm-hmm. And on a month-over-month basis, the rate was 0.8%, which annualized does still represent That's a 10% uh, annual rate, which is obviously very, very fast. Uh, The ONS said uh, the largest upward contributions to the annual uh, CPI uh, in March came from uh, housing and household services, principally from electricity, gas, and other fuels, uh, and food and non-alcoholic beverages. Right. Um, Which is, yeah, exactly. Makes sense with what they're going through over over in the UK. Yeah. That's, uh, although hopefully, wait, I'm trying to think about the weather patterns that should be all their winter should be almost over yep. or not, not almost over, but getting there. Yep. So hopefully yep. that, that helps them out a little bit. Yep. Definitely warmer weather um, coming for them. On the so. horizon. But yeah, that's, uh, that is rough. I, I can't even remember what, what's Australia at seven, eight. No, so, no. Uh, I, I think uh, we Australia, well? I'm not actually sure. One of them was at 6.5, but I don't know if that was the US or if US that was Australia. Maybe I can continue uh, to trend down, but <clears throat> yeah, the, um, Europe and, and, and the UK uh, continue to get hit with pretty nasty inflation. Mm. Um, yeah, they've just been, it's just comp, like so many compounding factors for them. Like, yes. Um, being particularly affected by the energy stuff with uh, Russia, Ukraine as well. Yeah. That's, um, that's a big, a big, uh, big hit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. The supply side issues from 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 the the Russia conflict or the Russia Ukraine conflict has been much more severe than in other places. Much more of a direct impact from those supply chains being cut off. Um, so as a result, uh, you've kind of seen a little bit of a different approach from the the government in terms of how to deal with this cost of living crisis. Uh, they're actually continuing to provide, or they have provided over the past year. 3,300 uh, p- British pounds uh, in basically stimulus in, in relief. Right. And typically you would kind of think, well, providing more stimulus, giving people more money during the inflation crisis will just kind of fuel demand. Yeah. But the idea here is that considering uh, that a lot of the inflation is from a supply shock from energy, uh, that stimulus will not go into you know excess demand in the economy, but it'll just go to filling the gap uh, on those energy payments. So right, okay. um, that's kind of the way that uh, the, the the government has been kind of dealing with the problem. And then on the other side, you have the Bank of England, this, the central bank, which is continuing to do the exact opposite of stimulus, raising interest rates. So it is kind of interesting. Mm. You kind of see uh, a, a kind of a clashing of, of fiscal and monetary policy. One is tightening the economy uh, and, and, and trying to reduce inflation. And the other one is, is kind of increasing spending, potentially yep. increasing inflation. But they're hoping the, the they're hoping the way they've structured it is that these stimulus payments don't actually add to demand. It's more just like they can just use it to save like save their bills basically or pay their bills. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, to, to kind of add to the to the, all the negative news that's kind of going on uh, out of the UK. Just pile it on, Hamish. Uh, I'll, I'll add one more on. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, even though unemployment is still very low at three point eight percent, it is on the rise, uh, increasing ten basis points in the December to February period. So right. the UK is very much facing the stagflationary issues that you've heard Ray Dalio talk a lot about, and his concerns have primarily been. Um, around the US, which is not yet facing stagflation, but uh, the same kind of principles apply that there has been this significant supply shock, uh, which is kind of causing quite persistent inflation. 
And at the same time, the economy is weakening. So you've kind of got this uh, difficult situation where both the government has to decide and the central bank have to decide, do we kind of increase the money supply, increase spending, uh, which will maybe help people out in the short term, but fuel inflation? Mm. Or do we tighten the economy, which adds to the already difficult situation they're in, but ultimately would help with inflation? So it is kind of a stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Uh, not a not a nice place to be. Not something that I would like to make decisions about. No. Yeah, I'm <laughs> very glad I'm just oh. observing the news and not, uh, not the one standing up having to it's tell actually- everybody. How do you, how would you feel like actually being a Jerome Powell character and knowing that you're the decisions that you, I guess it's, it's not just one person, like no. it's, it's a group of people, but imagine just being on that committee, like, wow, the vote, what, what I say actually has the potential to affect millions and millions and millions of people. I, I couldn't handle the pressure. I don't think. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would, I think I would have to really be confident in my understanding that I know what I'm doing is the best thing possible. So that, yeah, that'd be a very tough job. Yeah. And I mean, it's incredibly tough because even if you have all the, they have all the data available to them, it's still very difficult to know what is the right choice and what will have a negative or, or a positive impact, you know, six months, 12 months down the road. So uh, it is a very difficult situation. And yeah, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, the UK is kind of uh, the poster child of all of the problems going on yeah. in the economy that are seen everywhere else just to, you know, the full effect, unfortunately, in uh, in the UK. Yeah. Interesting. All yeah. right. Is that uh, is that what we've got to talk about? That's, that's the UK. Give us give us some good news. Is te- how's Tesla's earnings? Are they, are oh, they- Tesla. Oh, boy. Uh. <laughs> no, Tesla's earnings were Interestingly, uh, not great. We're so used to the narrative with Tesla just being like record quarter, oh, record quarter. 50% growth. Yeah, like, record oh. quarter, record quarter. <laughs> yeah. It was very interesting that this was not a record quarter. Um, and I actually didn't look at what the stocks, what the stock did after after earnings. I'll have a look while you Yeah, talk. you have a look. But um, but I've been seeing through the media that, you know, they, they, they're copping a bit of a bashing, which is quite interesting because I thought that Tesla explained... They, they, they provided a smart rationale for their results, which I don't know, maybe you just think, oh, they're just saying that to save face or whatever the, the you know, the cynic might say. But anyway, let's talk about it. Let's, let's talk about what the hell's going on. Hmm. So deliveries, car deliveries, uh, 422,000 in Q1 versus 405,000 in Q4 last year. Um, and that was also compared to four three hundred and forty three thousand in Q three, so that's hmm. steadily rising. It's, it's good, rise, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing; they are pumping out these cars. The demand is there. They're selling a lot of cars, delivering a lot of cars. That's all great. That's all great. Automotive revenue declined from twenty one point three billion to twenty billion. Right. So okay. that's from Q four to Q one, um, quarter over quarter. But it was still up eighteen percent year over year. Mm. Um, and there is seasonality in automotive results. Q1 is traditionally the weak quarter for US uh, auto sales. So that's eh, people still didn't like it that um, auto revenue declined. Total revenue of 23.3 billion down from 24.3 billion. Um, again, still up 24% year over year though. So year over year, they're doing fine. They're continually growing, all that mm. jazz. Just this quarter, it's been a bit of a whoop. Down yeah. the it's kind of an interesting situation because, yeah, typically most companies have seasonality. So you look year over year at the same comparable period. Yeah. But we also recognize that the, the, the economic issues, the higher interest rates, inflation has kind of accelerated or the, the issues have kind of accelerated in the last six to th- three to six months. Yeah. So you also do want to look at quarter over quarter to see if you're seeing any of that pain. Uh, yeah. So it is an in- kind of an interesting situation. But yeah, t- you, you, clearly they've still, you know, p- it's pretty impressive that they're still outperforming even f- the same period last year. I'm yeah. surprised given yeah. the v- fact that interest rates have gone up so much and that does have such a dramatic impact on the auto industry where people are buying their leasing, you know, vehicles yeah. for, is a significant percentage. And Elon was saying, look, People like to see Tesla as this golden company, but you know they're not immune to macroeconomic forces, and mm. they they have copped that a little bit. Um, interestingly, so that, that was their revenue numbers. Their operating expenditures were flat um, at one point yep. eight billion for the quarter, and their operating margin was down from this is what everyone's like <gasps> a little bit worried about sixteen percent 
mm-hmm. down to 11.4%. <gasps> How yeah. dare they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so overall, their net income... Net income was two point five billion, down from three point seven billion last quarter, and down twenty four percent year over year. Mm. So net income was down year over year. Interesting. Um, however, however, now you can say, ah, oh, Tesla, they had a shit quarter. You know, macroeconomics bad. They did, they did poorly. They did provide uh, a, a pretty reasonable rationale as to why their results were like this, and they basically. Um, knew going in their results were going to be like this because they, a part of their strategy was they reduced their prices on all their vehicles um, to spur demand. And I'll talk a little bit more about this in a little bit, but basically just their strategy is to continue to get as many cars out there as possible. Anyway, I'll read you what they put in their their, uh, earnings release. They said, quote, in the current macroeconomic environment, we see this year as a unique opportunity for Tesla, as many car makers are working through challenges with the unit economics of their EV programs, we aim to leverage our position as a cost leader. We are focused on rapidly growing production, investments in autonomy and vehicle software, and remain and remaining on track with our growth investments. That makes sense. Um, our near-term pricing strategy considers a long-term view on, on per vehicle profitability given the potential lifetime value of a Tesla vehicle through autonomy, supercharging, connectivity, uh, and service. We expect that our product pricing will continue to evolve upwards or downwards depending on a number of factors. Essentially, if you read between the lines, this strategy is they know that their EV program runs profitably. And that's yep. more that, than can be said for a lot of other EV programs from other manufacturers. So what they've done is they've said, okay, now that the macro is getting tough, people are saving that they're not spending their money, they're saving it, their cost of living's gone up, inflation's high. Other car makers are really struggling with their EV programs. Tesla, they're going to, okay, take a little bit of a hit. Okay, but they're still going to try and get as many cars out there as possible because what they see in the future is that those cars, if they're not making a heap of money off of them when they sell them, they will down the track through servicing, through um, charging, and most notably through autonomy. So that is that is their strategy, um, which they yeah. did make very clear. This is the first paragraph of their earnings release. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they said it multiple times through the conference call. Yeah. Um, I guess it just comes down to whether you believe Elon or not, whether, whether you're just like a skeptic or whether you actually believe what they say. Yeah. But to me, I don't know how you feel about this. Mm. To me, this strategy makes sense. Yeah. Lower your prices. You know you can make heaps and heaps and heaps of cars. So instead of like doing a Ferrari where you just like don't make many cars and mm. keep the price really high, just like get your cars out there because you know that sometime in the future, you'll probably be able to rake in a lot more revenue from each of those cars, even if you don't get it right now. Yeah, it's a, it is a kind of a unique situation because you're right. There's so much potential additional revenue that can be generated from people who have have Teslas. Yeah. So that there's that's potentially not even being thought about yet. Um, just through kind of the the software aspect of 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 Tesla. And so yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. You're right. It does just come down to whether you, whether you believe them or whether they are dropping prices because they're they're being crushed by kind of incoming competition right that, yeah. that would be like the the the, the devil's advocate right it's yeah. like yeah for sure are they doing it by choice are they are they choosing to uh make the product more attractive relative to competition to hurt competition who are not profitable yet yeah or are they doing it out of necessity yeah and that's really where the argument would would lie yeah. ultimately but it is an interesting it is if he's telling the truth and it is the right strategy especially when you have competition that are trying to demand is shifting quickly across to EVs and you have they they haven't figured out how to do it profitably yet. Yeah. So now is the time to kind of put your put the foot on the neck exactly. in in a sense. It's kind of like if, you know, you, I mean this isn't legal, but this is a different industry, but where a, a local servo opens up across from a sh- a big shell servo, um you can't do this anymore, but they would they used to um, dramatically lower their prices and just wait until that servo went out of business and mm. then raise their prices again. And yeah. in that industry, you can't do that. But that's basically in effect what you can do in other industries is, okay, well, we can just offer a, we can make our product far more attractive relative yeah. to competition 
And if they can't get profitable, then they'll have to back away. And that's ultimately better for Tesla. Yeah. Then the, the way I see it as well is another way of looking at it. You can put yourself in the mindset of uh, General Motors, of another car manufacturer that has a not an, an unprofitable EV program. It's like right now with macro, you know, killing everybody at you know at the present time it's like what what are they what are they thinking when they're looking at their ev programs that are costing them every car they sell they lose money right now are they are they looking at that thinking oh we've got to get as many of these cars out there right now no they're not thinking that at all no way sink their battleship you know they're think they're thinking right now oh my gosh maybe we should just chill. We're losing so much money on each of these cars. Maybe we just won't sell the EVs. We'll go back to the other stuff for a while. Whereas Tesla's just like, eh, we can take a hit and we'll just sell hundreds and hundreds of thousands of cars. And, you know, one day, you know, not all people will upgrade to full self-driving, but some of them will. And when they do, we'll make bank. So it's yeah. it's kind of a long-term play. Yeah, so yeah it, it will certainly be interesting to see how it plays out. I've said this the last couple of quarters for Tesla and we haven't, seen there's a little bit of pain in tesla's earnings so far but we really haven't seen what i would expect to see which is a kind of a dramatic drop off with all the other automakers just because it is such a tough environment for an automaker but um yeah the next couple of quarters and and how this kind of plays out will be Mm. kind of interesting to see all right i'm going to keep moving on so um other numbers that they note capital expenditures rose from 1.8 billion to 2 billion um, which combined with their lower operating cash flow uh, gave them free cash flow of just 441 million versus 1.4 billion last quarter and 2.28 billion in Q1 of 2022. So right. free cash flow is just not it at the moment. Um, in other news that I took out of the thing, um, out of the earnings release, uh, battery storage deployed rose from 2.4 megawatt hours to 3.9 megawatt hours and was also up 360% year over year. Um, and that's thanks to the ramp of their mega factory in Lathrope, I think is how you say it, uh, in California. Um, in terms of their gigafactories, so in the US, uh, they just note the Model Y is the best-selling non-pickup vehicle in the US in Q1. We showcased 4680 cell production at our March 2023 Investor Day. Uh, production rate continued to improve sequentially in Q1. Equipment installation for Cybertruck production at Gigafactory Texas con- continued in Q1 and remains on track. They're hoping to get the first deliveries at the end of Q3 this year, finally. Wow, exciting. Um, in mm-hmm. Shanghai, they basically said that Shanghai is maxed out. They're running at full capacity. Don't expect wow. s- meaningful, significant increases in weekly production. Um, and then in Europe, they say, uh, the model Y production line in Germany has produced over 5,000 vehicles a week towards the end of Q1. Um, so that's pretty cool. All progressing pretty nicely. Yeah. I'm just trying to think if I got anything else out of specifically the conference call. Um, yeah, they just noted again that the Model Y was the best-selling uh, vehicle in Europe in Q1, which wow. is pretty cool. Model Y was the best-selling vehicle in the US uh, in Q1, excluding pickups. Wow. So, EV vehicle or just overall vehicle? No, just uh, best-selling vehicle. Wow, that's actually insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Elon basically last year said next year, at some point next year, it will be the number one selling vehicle worldwide. <laughs> like, yeah, actually. That's actually just crazy. Yeah. The, the, the past like four or five years for Tesla has just been astronomical. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, they're definitely not, a, they're not a small automaker no, no, anymore. No. Um, yeah. And it's so interesting. It's just such an interesting case. And I won't harp on about this because I'll go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> but it's just such an interesting case of a company that puts all of their money and all of their effort into improving the product yes. as opposed to like just having a mediocre product that sits among other products and then just advertising the hell out of it. Like yeah. Tesla still sp- spent zero on advertising. Yeah. They spend nothing. They've not spent a dime on advertising yeah. and yet here they are anyway. Um, yeah. That's, it's a, that's just a, such a good point because especially if there is, and this, this happens over and over again in different industries where you have some kind of dramatic technological change. And especially if there's a lot of kind of, Bar- cost barriers in the way of of the legacy the incumbents uh in order to for them to move into this new method of of all this new product line uh, yeah a new company that comes in with a management team that just cares about the customer and tries to do put every dollar back in yeah it, we've seen it time and time again it, it's uh mm. it's very difficult for the ultimately the legacy companies yeah. to to make the transition yeah um, yeah they just get crushed um okay what else do i have to say hamish um, they're creating test Cybertrucks at the moment, which is pretty cool. 
Elon called it a Hall of Famer product, a radical product. Um, it's just not made the way that cars are normally made. Right. So that'll be interesting. Wow. Interesting. He's very bullish on this on this Cybertruck. Yeah. Um, 150 million miles is how far full self drive full self driving beta has gone now. Well, that's a lot of miles. Um, Elon just basically harping on about how it's obvious that the data advantage is just so strong with Tesla mm. uh, full self driving. Um, what else? Uh, that's pretty much it. Nothing else really stood out. They note they still have orders in excess of their production, which is good, but that is their strategy to adjust their pricing to make sure that they get, you know, they can match deliveries to their production. Yeah. Um, Tesla's also getting into mining and refining. Um, oh. te- yeah, Elon noting that they're not doing it because they want to. Uh, he noted to other entrepreneurs out there, stop making a photo sharing app <laughs> and mine mineral, <laughs> mine and refine minerals. <laughs> and then Drew was like, yeah, and it's actually really fun. <laughs> they're like trying to sell it. Um, they, they, they said Tesla will have the most lithium refining capability in North America and probably more than everyone else combined. Wow. So, and and it's funny that they're not doing it because they want to. They would love to just like palm it off to someone else. Like, oh, you, you mine and refine lithium, right? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. yeah thank <laughs> you. But they just can't find enough. So that's quite interesting. It is funny that. I'd love to know a figure for just the total amount of money that has just been burned in Silicon Valley over the past like <laughs> 10 years. Like the, the amount of just small tech companies that don't make any money, they lived for a little bit and then died. Like there's, it's got to be an, an enormous amount. It's yeah. got to be, it's got to be heaps, tens of billions, maybe even more than that. Yeah. In just money that just invested capital that was pulled from like big billionaires and hundred millionaires who invested a lot into venture capital yeah. and basically pulled money out of other investments and, and they've decided to invest in these small companies and it's just burned. It's just yeah. lit it on fire. I just, I'd love to know that figure because it, <laughs> it be is crazy. It'd be a lot. It's uh, I just like, I like how Elon was specifically like, stop making a photo sharing app. Yeah. It's like, I wonder how many photo sharing apps have been made over like the past oh, five to 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and in the end, who's, who's left? Yeah. It's like, Meta. Yeah. Yeah, it's and like Google. Two, three tops. Meta yeah. and Alphabet still control the entire yeah. bloody market. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, you asked uh, how the stock performed. It was oh, yes. down 6% in 6%. after hours, 2% during the day. But if you compare to a month ago, it's actually quite flat. So, okay. um, you know, it's just kind of erased the gains of the last month or so. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, that's all I have to say. That's it. All yeah. Right. I didn't even go for half an hour, Hamish. Are you, are you proud of me? I am. I am. Are you sure you don't have it? You sure you haven't missed a page? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. hang on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't. Oh, hang on. I didn't. No, I've got nothing. Okay. Um. Well, now, so I'll start the stopwatch now. Okay. And we'll go for Netflix. Maybe maybe, maybe I'll surprise you. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pull a you and I'll do what, whatever you just did. 20 minutes. Uh, 20, so. 15, 20. We'll, yeah, we'll something see. Like um, no, well, yeah. So we, we, Netflix reported their Q1 Earnings, the first of uh, the media companies to report, uh, which uh, for me is uh, always something interesting to follow. I'm, I'm big into movies and, and, and television. And mm-hmm. it, it's one of those industries similar to auto industry where it is going undergoing a lot of change, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting to follow what are the different strategies and that sort of thing. So have you watched Beef? I have. Yeah. Have you? I, I'm not all the way through it. Did you like it? It's so good. Yeah. yeah. Is I it? think that's probably the best thing i've seen this year oh that and the last of us both of those are right. very very good shows yeah um are you liking it i'm loving it but i'm not uh, it does it have a good ending the ending's pretty good pretty yeah. good okay cool. yeah nice. oh, i won't spoil no it no no spoilers i'm just wondering <laughs> <And> then yeah <laughs> they all die then no. they all yeah classic <laughs> no but um yeah that's uh made by a film a small film studio called a24 and they come out with some incredible shows um, right which okay. is uh just a bit of a, a side note but uh right. Yes, uh, Netflix's earnings uh, revenue came in at $8.2 billion, which was up a measly 3.7% year over year. So how did they grow their revenue? Uh, Total subscribers is kind of one of the dimensions, rose 4% year over year. 
Uh, for the quarter, over the month, uh, quarter over quarter, they gained uh, 1.8 million net additions to reach 232.5 million subscribers. And that is compared to an increase of 0.5 million that they added in the same quarter last year. So Q1 is typically pretty uh, light. They A lot of content for, for Netflix and other studios comes out in the fourth quarter over the holiday period. Mm. And then there's kind of a lack of content um, during uh, during kind of the, the first quarter uh, of the year. It's kind yeah. of similar to that on YouTube as well. You have like mm. people cramming a lot of content into the fourth quarter for ad revenue. True. And then, then uh, people taking off January. Yeah. Um, so there's yeah. not that much content, but kind of follows a similar pattern. So um, sub growth is, you know, typically... <clears throat> not that great, uh, yeah. although uh, certainly uh, they're continuing to experience the you know significant slowdown from just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Do you happen to remember uh, off the top of your head what their um, sub growth was last quarter? Or, or like last it, quarter, yeah, as in like, the fourth quarter? Yeah, fourth quarter. Yeah, the fourth quarter was, it was between seven and eight million oh, additions. Okay. It was actually, okay. I think, their third or fourth best quarter right. um, so far. But Cause, I, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, because I just look at, like it's always the scrutinized number, but mm. I, I I'm looking at they they've got 232.5 million subscribers and they've added 1.8 million for the quarter. Yeah, I'm like, do people care about this? Like, it's pretty seems pretty saturated. Seems pretty saturated. Like, yeah. why? I I'm kind of surprised that there's still so much attention on how many new ads did you have? You know, yeah. how many more subs did you add this time? You yeah. know. It kind of just seems like the focus shouldn't be on how many subscribers they're adding anymore. I, I, I probably agree think? with that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, if like, you what's look- What's that in percentage terms? Like nothing. It's not, right. And if you look globally, there's still a pretty significant opportunity to capture uh, uh, additional right. subs. So okay. if you're looking globally, you're talking about 800 million to a billion households uh, right. globally. Of course, a lot of those households wouldn't consider Netflix as, or they wouldn't consider pay, paying for yeah, entertainment. yeah. yeah. Um, so you got to factor that in, but you're right. Like 232 million subs out of 800 million households, let's say globally, yeah. Uh, potential households once you take out internet, yeah, and that possible, sort of thing. possible, possible actual households. possible households yeah. with internet, yeah, um, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, you're right. Like they're already you know capturing a, a massive part, and especially if you look at, uh, you know, the, the scrutiny on their this US and Canada subscribers is completely ridiculous because they're in every household basically yeah. once you take into account password sharing. But yeah, you wouldn't really expect there to be an enormous amount of growth out of uh, sub numbers kind right, of going okay. forward. Yep. Um, but in terms of by region... Uh, well, this so will give the answer. <laughs> subs by region. Uh, the UK region, so US and Canada, subs were flat. And that's you there know, you go. been the case for <laughs> many, many quarters. It's kind of just hovered around the 75 million mark. Uh, and it, then they think they have 30 million in, in accounts that are uh, using it, but not paying. So that's over a hundred million and there's 110 million households. So they're basically in every household yeah. uh, in terms of their EMEA segment, uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa. They added 0.6 million subscribers. Uh, Latin American segment was minus 0.5 million. And then the APAC Asia Pacific region was yeah, plus uh, 1.5 million, oh, which we're is- We're carrying. We are. It's just us. In, it's definitely Australia it's and just, not the rest of Asia. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, it's just Aussies. Yeah. It's just the Aussies. It's just Aussies. But yeah, so the the kind of the US segment has been not growing for a long time because they're kind of in every household. So it really, the slowdown is- the, their growth in international markets. It's mm. it's why they're not capturing in, in Latin America and Asia anymore, even though they, they, they don't have much penetration. Mm. Um, so that's kind of the subscriber side. Then you have the average revenue per member. Of course, they can, and that's the other lever they can pull is to raise their prices or lower their prices. Yep. Uh, that actually declined 1% year over year. Mm. However, if you take out the foreign exchange impact, uh, it course. increased 4%. Uh, so overall, uh, if you re- remove FX, then revenue growth was 8% instead of 3.7%. So you can see that more than uh, their yes. revenue growth was cut in half, more than half yeah. just by foreign exchange, which does really show you these international businesses yeah. that collect most of their revenue in foreign currencies. Uh, the impact is yeah. significant. Uh, and, yeah. And if that's where all your growth is, then that's, that's why, where yeah, all that's, the growth is. Yeah. 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 It, yeah, it, Bummer. Mean, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's like almost double digit growth or 3% growth. It's kind, yeah. of, kind of crazy. That is a big 
difference. Very uh, big. In terms of uh, incomes, uh, so profits, uh, operating income came in at $1.7 billion, which was down 14% year over year. Uh, again, if you exclude foreign exchange, then profits were flat. So um, that's, you know, most of their impact has kind of been on uh, foreign exchange. Uh, they spoke a little bit more about their strategy to re-accelerate growth, which has kind of been their rhetoric for oh, the last okay. few quarters. They've got two focuses. One is is on engagement and the other is monetization. <clears throat> so in, on engagement, uh, they said kind of uh, people are still spending two to three times as much time uh, of their time on Netflix compared to the nearest streaming service, uh, but they're still spending a small piece of uh, overall viewing time. So the majority of viewing time is still on broadcast and cable television. Yeah. So they've got to continue continually work to expand the different types of content that they offer. Yeah. Uh, to uh, as people kind of move over from TV, there's you know a number of lines there that they can potentially capture. You know, reality TV and that sort of thing that's yep. typically viewed on um, on television and as they capture those audiences. Mm-hmm. And then the other strategies on monetization, uh, which they've spoken a lot about, rolling out the account sharing restrictions. Uh, they're going to do more of that in Q2. Uh, most countries will go through in Q2. They did a couple of testing in Q1. Uh, they did Canada, New Zealand, just the typical markets that they test. Yep. Uh, and then also interestingly, uh, they actually did a number of uh, price drops during the first quarter. They dropped prices in 116 countries, mostly APAC and Latin America. Uh, and this is essentially in order to drive more engagement. So uh, they kind of spoke about how in the past they kind of had very uniform pricing, just you know, um, you know, similar pricing from place to place. Whereas now they're thinking a bit more critically about what prices work in different regions. Right. Uh, so, for example, in India, they dropped prices pretty significantly, and it helped to drive overall revenue growth of twenty four percent. So, by dropping the price, they got a lot more interest. Right. Um, just because pricing is, is a lot more sensitive Sens- in India. Yep. Can I use my VPN and pay a lower price? <laughs> I'll just use my VPN, say I'm from India, and then I'll pay less for mm. Netflix. That's how that's how it works, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it works. The 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 Netflix <laughs> investor in me is telling you shut up. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I'm actually I genuinely don't know if you can do that because of surely where the not. payment comes from. Yeah, no, you you can not. of course use a VPN to watch content yeah. that's in other regions, but <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you could do that. That would be that would be quite a strategy. You set up a bank account in India, register a business there. Like, I'd like yeah. to pay in Turkish lira. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, dear idea. Yeah. No. no so, um, yeah. So they kind of spoke about that. And then, in terms of uh, cash flow, they're now expecting uh, $3.5 billion in free cash flow for the full year, which was an increase. Um, they previously expected about $3 billion. And part of that is due to overall less expected content spend. Uh, in fact, total content spend is expected to be much closer to their required or maintenance uh, level this year, which is a bit of a change from the past where they would normally spend far more than their maintenance amount in order to, so that they'd spend how much they need to maintain the platform. And then they'd spend even more to try and capture in these international markets. But what they're noticing is that uh, at the moment, especially in some of these international markets where there's a lot of inflation and, and, and economic problems, the additional money they're spending on content just isn't gaining subscribers. Okay. So at least for this year, and then they'll reignite it next year, they're kind of cutting back some of that growth expenditure that they would normally uh, spend in some of these places. Right. Okay. Uh, and at the same time, they're kind of... Uh, doing some of the things I spoke about. So reducing prices, introducing the ad supported tier, getting the more price sensitive offerings in place. Uh, and then they can reignite spend and try and go after those customers once right. those kind of new systems are in place. That makes sense. Yeah. So interesting uh, to watch because uh, yeah, as I said, it's a company that's, you know, facing what I would say probably a combination of increased competition in recently macro problems because most of the growth is in countries that are you know have rampant inflation or or or, or are already in recession mm. a lot of european countries for example um you know eastern european countries uh so it is interesting to see how they navigate some of those issues um yeah yeah there you go um anything else on netflix yeah i uh just as kind of a related story this actually was from i think last week but right. we didn't talk about it uh, which is, you know, related in terms of the, the media space. HBO Max has uh, changed its name 
Uh, we, we we first spoke about this a while ago yeah, when it right. was uh, there, yeah. there was uh, rumors that they were going to change it to Max, and I said that's the worst name they've ever come up with. And it's like the Pepsi, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pep- Pepsi yeah. streaming service is yeah. now. Out. <laughs> um, and and of course they listened to me and they didn't call it Max. They they said you know Hamish, you're right. That's a terrible name. HBO Wait, is the brand. No, they called it Max. Oh, okay. They- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? That's not what it says here. <laughs> no, they, they they called it Max, right. which I still I hate it. I thought and they changed Max a million. <laughs> I just I don't like it. It's just such a flat name. Yeah. You Google Max and the streaming service doesn't come up. Yeah. Because. You're searching Max. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, exactly. No, exactly right. Uh, I don't know. It's like just, you think, I don't know, Uber. I mean, yeah. no one, yeah, it's so iconic. Everybody knows. I, what are some other examples? I can't even think of any examples off the top of my head. But that's yeah. just like branding 101 is make it original at least. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah I'm not sure about the decision, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. So, uh, of, of course, what I'm talking about is Warner Brothers Discovery is the, is the company. They unveiled their new streaming service, which combines HBO Max and Discovery Plus, which is their two services. So, HBO Max has always had their kind of high production film and television. Yeah. And then uh, Discovery Plus has had uh, more of the lower budget uh, more uh, uh, stuff that goes out on their television network. So reality TV and, and documentaries and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so now kind of combining the the infrequent high quality production with, you know, the regular content that, you know, keeps people on the platform essentially. Mm. Um, and the combined service pretty much looks very much like Netflix now, right? Because you have a, a much more uh, wider array of content genres like Netflix does. They have the kind of their high budget stuff, but also a lot of reality TV and game yep. shows and that sort of thing. Uh, and they also have pretty much the same pricing now. Um, the cheapest oh, okay. plan for Max is nine ninety nine. These are US prices, but yep. nine ninety nine for the ad supported tier versus Netflix's six ninety nine for the ad supported tier. Mm. So actually more expensive on the bottom end, but on the top end, both are nineteen ninety nine for the four K um, no ads four screens. Yep. So they've basically uh, yeah try uh, really in a sense they've created a product that now uh, obviously the content is different, but the types of genres they offer and the price points is all very very similar to Netflix which is interesting uh, to see. And I don't know, at first I thought this wasn't going to be a good idea, but you know, on second thoughts, I think it does make sense for them to do this, especially when you think about uh, 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 when, you, when you think about their service from a churn perspective, that having a low churn rate, people not canceling frequently is so important because mm. if people cancel a lot, they have to spend so much more on marketing just to get them back. Right. right. Like if there's, you know, if I don't have uh, HBO Max when The Last of Us comes out, they have to market at me to get me on the platform to watch it. Whereas mm. if I'm already on the platform, I'll be browsing around and I'll just see it natively. So there right, is a significant uh, increase in marketing and, uh, and other related costs that comes with having a high churn rate. And that's yep. been an issue for uh, Warner Brothers for, for since they launched their streaming services. So yep. it, that'll probably help to reduce that having, you know, consistent, you know, lower quality TV just there for, for people to give people a reason to regularly yeah. subscribe. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can add anything onto that. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, we have, uh, so yeah, Warner brothers and, and Disney uh, and, and Paramount will report their earnings over the next few weeks. And it, that I'm very curious to see yeah. how their growth is going because for a couple of those companies, their U S growth had also kind of stalled to a halt. So it'd be interesting to see if, you know, some of these things can help, um, reignite some growth for them as well mm, yeah for sure oh very good all right um where shall oh hang on what what was what was the time there how, how oh i didn't even take note of what when you started speaking i think I it was know, uh 15 minutes yeah probably. i think about just under 15 minutes all right i'll so. give you 15 minutes well done mate yeah i've done well, I've done well. Yeah, <laughs> you pat yourself on the back that's amazing uh should we talk about apple yeah what's happening with apple um Tim Cook flew over to India and opened the first two uh, Apple stores in India. Wow. So, it's pretty interesting. I'll read you what um, what CNBC wrote about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Apple CEO Tim Cook is in India this week. He's opened two new Apple stores, is scheduled to meet with Prime Minister Narendra Modi, and he's seeing sites and visiting customers in the country. The international trip is the strongest sign yet that India has become a huge strategic focus for Apple as supply chains move away from China and its smartphone 
and its smartphone market is increasingly saturated with iPhone users. Quote, Mm. I'm very bullish on India, Cook said during a February earnings call covering Apple's results for the December quarter when the tech giant observed record iPhone revenues in India. Apple is, quote, putting a significant amount of energy in India, Cook stressed at the time. India could echo the role that China has played in Apple's business over the last 15 years, a massive market with an expanding middle class to power sales growth and potentially a home base for the production of millions of Apple devices. Interesting. So it's interesting that it's from like both sides, not just from the consumer market, but from the production side as well, potentially looking for uh, yeah. a, a country that maybe um, gives them more favorable uh, production um, yeah, deals exactly. and, yeah, and relations. And a little bit of diversification away from China. The geopolitical risks. Whether you that. believe that that goes anywhere or not, I kind of sit in the camp that nothing's probably going to come of it. But, you know, it's it's diversification nonetheless. Um, there's room for Apple to grow on the subcontinent. Apple has less than 5% of the smartphone market share in India versus about 18% in China, um, said Angelo Zeno, senior analyst at CFRA Research. Um, the opportunity could be massive. Apple did $74 billion worth of sales in China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan in fiscal 2022. That's about wow. 18% of Apple's total revenue during the period. Uh, corporate filings in India covered by local media suggest that Apple's sales in the country were about $4 billion in fiscal 2022. And Bloomberg reported earlier this week that Apple reported nearly $6 billion in sales in the year ending in March. So there's, there's a wow. big discrepancy. But if... Yeah. If India for the next 15 years could be like what China has been over the last 15 years for Apple, wowee. Yeah. That's obviously, a, it's clearly a smart experiment at least, even if it doesn't play, play out. Yeah. It's a smart thing to try to get, you know, get some Apple stores up in India and also shift your production there. The article is very interesting. It notes that Android has over 95% of market share in the country according to StatCounter. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And I mean, in, in a sense, it kind of makes sense because Apple historically has been this kind of uh, flagship premium product um, and they, you know, they have enormous market share in the US because of that. But yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, you have, uh, you know, companies like Samsung, which, which use Android operating systems and they're not just making the flagship products. They're making mm. a wide variety all the way down to a couple hundred dollars. So it makes sense yep. that Android as a result, um, whichever phone maker it is, is able to capture such a large market. But yeah, and then you see kind of Apple more recently has been introducing those lower price point um, Apple products. And, you know, yep. part of that, I'm sure, is their intention to enter some of these markets like India, where there's a lot lower, uh, you know, household income per capita for or household income or, or GDP per capita. Uh, and of course, you know, that is growing rapidly, but they need to kind of have these lower price points to kind of yep. get big market share in those areas. You've absolutely hit the nail on the head with that. Did I? Yep. The did, article, I did I steal your next point? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just reading the article here. Um, they say that the main, you know, this is talking about why Android has 95% market share. The main reason is price. Most phones <laughs> sold in India are priced below even the least expensive new Apple iPhone. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Industry analyst IDC estimated in February that the average selling price of a smartphone in India is $224. Wow. Which had increased 18% in 2022. Apple's entry-level phone, the iPhone SE, retails for $429 in the US. Yeah, and, and even that price point is a lot lower than their normal their normal pricing. Yep. I, think, I think at the top end, you have, what, $1,400 yeah, US, $1, I want to say? phones. $1,000 yeah. is kind of their base of, yeah. the, of, the, of the premium. So, yeah, even $400 is, is uh, you know, a big drop for Apple in terms of where their price point is normally. So, it is um, that's a crazy stat, $224 per phone which is you know that's yeah, a lot lower than i'm sure what the average is in in you know the us for example yeah you know tim cook's answer financing financing yeah. that's actually what the article says wait one way for apple to address this gap is by allowing customers to pay for their phones in installments <laughs> or giving them a discount for trading in an, an older device <laughs> cook mentioned these strategies when it was asked about india in february Interesting. quote there's been a lot done from financing options and trade-ins <laughs> to make products more affordable they're not making them more affordable we're just no. going to give you an easier way to finance actually it. <laughs> less affordable I mean, yeah, less you pay interest <laughs> 
It's so that true. is interesting. I mean, Apple recently has been making a lot of moves in payments and finance. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you saw it. Just a couple of weeks ago, they launched a new interest savings account um, with 4% interest or something from Apple uh, backed by wow. Goldman Sachs. So, yeah, and, and you, you you have the Apple um, the Apple card, the, card, uh, yeah. the rewards card. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, now they're you know, offering financing. So it is interesting to see mm. Apple with their huge amount of, uh, of, of just capital base that they have to, to enter some of these um, interesting markets that yeah. you wouldn't expect a phone manufacturer to, to be offering a savings account to be yeah. a financial institution. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, quite bizarre. Um, it'll be pretty soon Apple just be an everything company. Yes. <laughs> and you just literally do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, okay, I quickly want to talk about the other half of the strategy. So that's talking about uh, Apple's challenge um, and, and trying to sell more phones in that market. Um, but the other half of the strategy is um, manufacturing. So it says here, nearly all iPhones are currently assembled in China, which has caused some problems over the past five years, starting with trade tensions and possible tariffs during the Trump administration and extending to more recent supply chain disruptions caused by COVID and China's COVID policies. Um, which has which led to sales shortfalls. India could end up being a big winner as Apple looks for a non-Chinese manufacturing option. Uh, in January, India's commerce minister told CNBC that Apple was manufacturing its latest iPhone 14 in the country and had a goal to produce as many as 25% of all iPhones in the country. Wow. That's quite significant, isn't yeah. it? Um, Apple's primary manufacturing partner, Foxconn, which oversees a large portion of assembly of new iPhones in China, is expanding in India too, reportedly building a $700 million plant for iPhone parts in Bangalore. Um, In another parallel to China, the Indian government is eager to embrace Apple to use uh, and use it as a symbol to attract uh, other high-tech firms to the country for manufacturing and development. Over the past 20 years, Chinese governments at multiple levels have worked to make massive massive factories um, uh, like Foxconn's factory in China, uh, known as iPhone City, possible. Apple's long-term strategy in India is best summarized by a quote Cook gave to local media during his 2016 trip to the subcontinent. Quote, we are putting an we are putting enormous energy in here, and we are not here for a quarter or two quarters or the next quarter or the next year. Or the next year, we are here for a thousand years. <laughs> a thousand years. That's yeah. quite ambitious. <laughs> you, could you imagine a thousand years from now? Yep, the oldest company. <laughs> can ever. you imagine? Can you imagine like someone hopping on the earnings call and just being like, uh, "Tim, th- thanks for taking uh, taking the time today. Look, I was just wondering, can you give on your thousand year guidance? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you think revenue uh, will be in a thousand years? Thousand years. Yeah, that's quite. It's quite an ambition. I it's wonder- like one iPhone will cost like just the base iPhone will cost like $25 trillion yeah. in a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. Something ridiculous. It's probably more. I don't even know. You actually. know, that makes you think like, it's kind of crazy. Like our generation now, if we look back a thousand years, there's really no uh, evidence of it. Like we couldn't, we can't talk to the people. We don't know. There's no video of them, for example. Yep. Whereas in a thousand years, there will be people not looking back on this, I'm sure, but this this might be God, but looking back on uh, film from yeah. this time, which is kind of a crazy thing to think that yep. there could be someone out there just watching this being like, wow, <clears throat> look at that microphone. Like yep. it's not in their head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is very interesting. Yeah, because, um, because like- when we look at 4K video, mm. even 1080p video, it's very clear. You can get a very good idea of what life is like and yeah. how people... Yeah, it's a very good point yeah. is that they will be able to look back. But yeah, you or just maybe it'll it. all be gone in a nuclear wasteland. Mm. In the maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I like to be an optimist, so yeah. I'm going to go with... There'll be some like historian that'll chuck on the Young Investors podcast. And yeah. like, oh, I like these yeah. guys. Personal finance back <laughs> in the 21st century. I wonder what the S&P 500's at. I don't know why they all sound old in the future they probably sound younger they're probably probably an anti-aging <laughs> they're probably they could probably barely understand what we're saying yeah old old english yeah yeah jeez yeah they're yeah. so professional back then <laughs> Wait, God. and hang on this is their job <laughs> yeah what they had to work yeah. are, you, are you kidding wait these humans have freedom they're not controlled by ai no. <laughs> 
dear. No, sorry to derail that. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, <laughs> yeah. It, very interesting. And also, I guess, not super surprising. I mean, big multinational corporations will always look for ways to diversify manufacturing and, and look for the, well, ultimately the, the cheapest and most reliable manufacturing um, options. So yeah. it makes uh, makes perfect sense. Mm. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else to talk about today or is that just about it? I think that's just that's just about it. We can uh, yeah, do a we do questions. yeah we do have a bunch of cute uh, questions to answer from you guys. But as always, we're always uh, welcoming new questions. So uh, as I said at the beginning, uh, if you're on Spotify, just scroll up and ask your questions in Spotify, or head over to the YouTube version uh, over to ask your questions uh, as a comment. I'll ask this first one to you. Uh, hey guys, thank you for the podcast. Where can I find the whole Warren Buffett interview, which is what we were talking about oh. last week? Uh, yeah. It's a CNBC Pro, isn't it? It is. So unfortunately Paywall. Yeah, unfortunately <laughs> it's uh it's it's not one that's just gone up on YouTube sometimes. Um, you know, the mm. Daily Journal meeting is is just on YouTube, for example, and the the Berkshire annual meeting is uh also just it goes on YouTube. Um but no, this one's a this one's paywalled, so um, unfortunately you uh yeah, we, we, we can't give it to you. Um, We'd get copyright I'm, flagged I'm for sure. I'm pretty sure we would get a knock on the door. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, we were even like debating whether we sh- could be in trouble just using clips from yeah. that CNBC interview because yeah. it is behind a paywall. Like yeah. I'm pretty sure the head honchos at CNBC, they just don't care if yeah. YouTubers or other media uses clips from just their, you know, programming. But yeah. I think, yeah, it's a bit more gray, it's gray when it's behind a paywall and they actually, every view that they get on that is somebody yeah. that's a paid subscriber. So yeah, um, it's definitely a gray area because you definitely have YouTube channels who, react to or give commentary on movies for example which are always they're all paywalled right um but even that is a gray area of well is that transformative are they creating something new from it or can you just not show clips and break down a movie for example like it's not your work kind of thing so it is a gray area but yes uh, cnbc (laughs) cnbc pro welcome Um, to the world of ip and copyright yeah. and who owns what and, and what's uh, transformative and what's not and oh it's a mess yeah it? it's a whole uh it's a whole thing it's a whole thing. About, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole thing yeah it's a whole thing yeah but with that said um so i've put the i've ripped the whole interview <laughs> and uh it's in a google drive link at the no it's yeah, link in the description <laughs> oh gosh oh i'm not following any google drive link from you buddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, all right should we do this next one yeah this is this is an interesting one it's kind of um a bit subjective, depending on, on on who you are as an investor. What kind of management compensation package is, in your opinion, in a gray area? Uh, I'm looking at a company where only 40% of the compensation is performance-based, and I feel like that's maybe too little. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have any necessary rules around how much needs to be stock, you know, having a stake in the company, how much is performance-based, how much salary. Yeah. Do you have any specific rules or you just like, it's a case by case basis, I feel like. It is case by case. And I don't think there's any one factor that should be an immediate yes or an immediate no necessarily. It's kind of like you're looking at a number of different things within compensation and and management ownership. And then it's it, it's kind of a matter of is there a lot of negatives or a lot of positives? Yeah. Um, so you're right. I think 40% of compensation tied to performance leans on the negative side. But that alone, you, there's nothing I could read into that in isolation because there's so many other factors. So, for example, like you mentioned, how much uh, stock does the management team own? And are yeah. they uh, actively purchasing more stock regularly showing uh, and is there is a large part of their personal ownership, uh, personal wealth invested in the company, or is yeah. it just a small part of their wealth, and they they have you know uh, large investments in other areas? Generally, why founders are so good? I, I, exactly yeah. right. Generally, they have a lot of stock, and they own a large uh, uh, most of their net worth is is usually in the company. Yeah. And then in terms of compensation, there's a, a performance based compensation. There's a lot of different uh, ways that a lot of different um, targets that can be used for yep. uh, measuring how variable compensation is paid out. Yep. Um, so, you know, some companies will use numbers that are misleading and adjusted yep. uh, and, and other companies will Earnings focus on- share. Yeah, and, <laughs> and other companies will focus on things that that matter to us. Like mm-hmm. I, to, to me, I, I care a lot about return on invested capital. How yeah. effective is management, uh, right? It might be, it's all good and well that revenue went up that year. Maybe yeah. even profits went up. Uh, but if they're not doing it effectively, if they're wasting money in the company, then that's, yeah. that's, that's bad. So it's something I would look for, but yep. 
or they can do it on like total shareholder return or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it is a bit hit and miss because yeah, you can see like a, a heap of um, performance based compensation. So they hit business KPIs, which make the business better and they get paid a boatload of stock or they just get straight cash. But you're right. Um, accounting. <laughs> yeah. It can be messed with. So earnings per share can be messed with. Um, they could just put through a massive share buyback program and reduce the number of shares outstanding. And then that props up the earnings per share number and they get a big bonus. Whereas yep. maybe that's not the best use of their money to do a big um, buyback. Maybe their stock's expensive or something like that. So it's, yep. it's, it is case by case, salary, performance base, stock ownership, stock options. It's, yeah, I don't think you can, I mean, you can even say like, you can try and say, like ownership of a lot of stock, that's good. But then again, you could say like ownership of a lot of stock options, that's good. Oh no, that can also be bad. Yeah. So you, it really is a case by case basis. I think you have to just, yeah, you just have to try it. I wish there could be like an easy way, yeah. easy rule to follow, but there's just not, I guess. I think one other thing I'd add as well is uh, some companies will, you'll notice that they change the methods of and the the rules in their compensation plan all the time like you, you'll see they'll change every two years they're they're tracking different things they're getting paid different amounts whereas other companies it'll just be very consistent they always you know follow revenue they always follow earnings per share or free cash flow whatever it is and it's pretty consistent who regardless of the changes in management and then other companies you'll see it's it chop and changes all the time one year it's total shareholder return the other year it's this and that and mm. uh, that that to me is a bit of a red flag of of them just changing the compensation plan to fit the current operating environment, which tends to happen quite a lot. So um, yeah, just that's something. To, but again, it, it, that's one factor <laughs> in a basket of factors. So it, it's a it, yeah, it's a, a bit in a basket of factors in a basket of factors in a yeah. basket of factors. And admittedly, <laughs> I think management is probably the area I know the least about um, yeah. in terms of uh, how to assess them. Uh, it is very complex. Um, yeah. Especially, um, yeah, I think something Monish said, which was interesting, was his experience as running a company with a lot of employees gave gives him a lot of insight into management. That's something that I I personally don't have. Yeah. Um. So you know, makes it, sense. There yeah. there is an element of that too. Yeah. All right. Cool. Let's uh, let's wrap things up. Yeah. Thanks for having me over, Amish. Much appreciated. Well, you kept knocking on the I door. Know, I just, oh, uh, you, you wouldn't relentless. you wouldn't let me. <laughs> Hamish. 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 <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, it was uh, good. Yeah. It's it's great to have you here uh, as always. And uh, thanks everyone for for tuning in as always. As I said, leave your questions. Um, YouTube, Spotify, and uh, we'll be back next week um, with a big announcement. With with. A- <laughs> This is the announcement of the announcement next week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we'll clickbait the thumbnail. The announcement like, that everyone huge knows. Huge announcement of yeah. the announcement. Yeah. Of an announcement that everyone knows is coming. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows. You can figure it out. But no. um, we'll talk to you more about it next week. Yes. Um, but yes, with that said, um, nice meeting you all. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk to you next week. See you guys. <laughs> Bye-bye.